no you're, no you're right like earth 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 is going to find a way the problem yeah. is we need to find a way <laughs> yes no i mean how many mass extinctions have there been right so right. like you know yeah exactly like we're when you say oh the earth's in trouble or, or like we need to save the earth it's like yeah, yeah you need to frame that slightly differently right? <laughs> uh, so. yeah don't don't think that you're doing a great thing by by saving the planet you're saving us that's what the, that's yes. what matters here like which i think is worth doing for sure I, yeah i agree probably one of the most noble things we do but it's but, you know yeah don't pose sure it as a non-selfish question here as like right. a you know like, don't be saying like, I'm going to save the planet. It's like, well, no, uh, don't, don't, don't kid yourself. What you're really doing here is making sure that we don't die. Hello, welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brian Black, and in today's episode, we're talking all about Waterworld, a movie that I had actually never heard of before, but apparently is a classic. Um, to talk about this topic <laughs> with me is an old friend of mine, Joey. He was on a, a previous episode where we talked about Wally, uh, one of my favorite episodes of my whole last season, just because it was a lot of fun and it was a topic I wanted to cover for a while. So, you know, I had to bring him back on for the all-star season. Um, but before we get into any of the episode stuff, Joey, would you mind reintroducing yourself to the crowd? Sure. Uh, my name is Joey. I co-host a podcast called Affable Chat, release uh, movie reviews every week. Uh, we talk about all sorts of different things, pop culture and especially movies. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. So go check us out. We're on every platforming, every platform you can think of for podcasts. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun talking to you about Wally last time. So I'm really looking forward to this. I can't believe you ever heard of Waterworld. Uh, it's funny that you say it's a classic because uh, <laughs> it certainly had its impact on Hollywood, but I don't know if people would consider it a must watch, I think. <laughs> well, you know, it was really funny when, when you suggested the episode to me, I, you know, you said Waterworld. I was like, okay, so that, that makes me think of SeaWorld. Is this going to go into like a whole like, animal rights thing or kind of like, where's he going with this? And then I looked it up. I was like, oh, it's like a, it's a Kevin Costner movie. And so I started doing research and there was like all of this, like, controversial thoughts on whether or not Waterworld was a good movie and it just caused like this massive like like feud in the, in the movie like in like the film watching community I was like what is this movie so I eventually got got around to watching it um, after after a long time of, of kind of fighting it but it was I was pleasantly surprised but it was definitely a, a strange movie to say in the least it is strange um what's what's interesting about it I think well is that it's bad to me it's bad uh but it's bad <laughs> for an interesting reason mm -hmm. um it has like all these, like it has this really elaborate set pieces, all this like practical effects, the costumes and stuff. They even have like their own kind of dialect throughout the movie. It's very, it's basically Mad Max on water. Right. That's kind of how it was pitched, you know? And I love, you know, I love a high concept movie. I love speculative fiction. I love stuff where they're like, okay, but what if this was going on? Uh, which I think this movie fits that, but mm -hmm. I feel like it just falls on its face over and over again. Belly flops, you might even say. <laughs> Uh, uh, over and over throughout the execution. And what's interesting is um, this was the most expensive movie ever made when it was made. Um, and That's it's crazy. estimated with inflation, it would cost about $300 million to make today. It Jeez. cost $170 million to make back then, which was massively over budget. It went, uh, the production was supposed to be about 90 days. It went over 150 days. So 
it was no it was a disaster throughout um <laughs> steven spielberg when he was filming jaws said that he would never ever film another movie on open ocean because it was it was so hard and that's the that's the warning that he gave the directors of this movie and they were like nah he's it's fine and he turned out he was right because a hurricane <laughs> came in and destroyed one of their sets and they had to rebuild oh, it from scratch no. it was crazy uh which you know of course extended everything and made a lot like you know extended the budget and everything then kevin costner and the director had a whole falling out and kevin costner had to finish directing the movie himself um <laughs> again Jeez. like anything you can imagine went wrong went wrong um yeah, yeah. it's amazing no i heard that kevin costner I, I can't remember the other director's name off the top of my head but i heard that they had like because they were friends originally and then they had some fun yeah. some kind of feud before the movie started and then they eventually got together to make the movie and uh, again their feud kind of broke out so i just heard there was so much drama and so much headache going on like they were just like kind of done with it like let's just get this over with and like they kind yeah. of like it, it it sounded like just a, a you know a monster piece of a movie the director is Kevin Reynolds, by the way. Kevin Reynolds, um, that's right. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Kevin Costner previously directed, before this movie, Dances with Wolves, which mm. people regard and have high regard for. And then after this movie, he directed The Postman. Mm. And this movie, Waterworld and The Postman, are probably the two nails that solidify um, the death of Kevin Costner as an action movie hero. Um, eventually, you know, he came back. You know, I feel like he's doing fine now. He's like Hollywood's dad. He was Earth dad in, in Superman. Mm -hmm. um, but he's, uh, you know, it's amazing. Like this, this movie was sort of pivotal, right? It was a huge budget. It was the biggest budget of all time. It was a completely original movie directed by this uh, by Kevin Costner, starring Kevin Costner. And when it fell apart, all of those things collapsed, right? It, like the, Hollywood was afraid of making practical effects movies. It was afraid of, you know, doing something completely original. It's afraid of casting Kevin Costner, anything. <laughs> um, and although this movie didn't do well, like when it came out and like it was sort of a box office bomb, you might say a lot of people, a lot of critics didn't like it. It still made money. That's sort of a myth. It was not like it's not one of the biggest flops of all time. It actually did turn a profit. Um, it was made of $264 million at the box office uh, by whence all of the uh, you know residuals and DVD sales and everything came in. Um, so it's a, it certainly has its role in movie history. Um, but the reason why I suggested it is because it's such an interesting um, like agricultural uh, experiment, right? It, it, like I think it's just as relevant as Wally is. It's like, okay, what if the world was fundamentally changed? How could we, how would we survive? What would we do differently? Everything. Um, yeah. 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 No, there's definitely a different, uh, an interesting thought, thought experiment. I think it's almost kind of the opposite of Wally -E in a lot of ways. Um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you recommended it because like, again, I, I was fighting it at first, but as I watched, it, I was like, okay, I can see where he's coming from. This is kind of cool. So before we get into anything else, do you want to kind of explain the, the, the plot to the audience? I can try. Let me, <laughs> uh, you can, you can interrupt me and uh, cut this together. It doesn't make any sense. So, okay, okay. So there's the Mariner who is kept played by Kevin Costner. He is a, he's not a human. He is a fish man. He's got gills. Um, and Icathus sapien, I think it's what they call him. Hmm. Um, he, he is like a drifter. He lives out on the open ocean in this really fancy boat. Right. And he goes to different settlements that are also on the ocean and um sells them his wares um oh I, I guess i should mention that the reason the earth is covered in water is because the 
ice caps melted mm-hmm. uh, because of global warming, assuming. And it covers the whole Earth. So now the whole Earth is an ocean, one big ocean. Um, so Kevin Costner's at the, uh, he's, he's going to different places selling his stuff. One of the things that he sells is dirt, which is extremely valuable because no, there's no dry land, obviously. So there's no way to get dirt. Um, so they give him some chips or whatever. And then as he's trying to leave, um, they're like, hey, will you breed with one of our you know, fertile women? And he's like, no, that's weird. And so they lock him in a cage. <laughs> um, and then there's this other group of marauders called the Smokers, led by uh, Dennis Hopper, uh, or the, his, his character's name is the Deacon. Um, he, they show up and they like, they're like gasoline. They worship gasoline or something. That's sort of the best way to explain it. Um, they show up in their jet skis and airplanes and start like trying to shoot up the settlement and take all their stuff, I guess. Um, and in the chaos, Kevin Costner escapes with a young woman and a, like a young girl who's like eight or nine years old. Um, so they get on the boat and they escape. And then um, they have a whole, they're like arguing and everything because Kevin Costner doesn't like people. And the, the woman is like, you should you know, care about us, take care of us, what we're going to do. And the little girl's, you know, very cute and everything. And he throws, he tries to throw her overboard at one point. Uh, and, you know, they get into a couple of scuffles and everything. And you learn more about each of them. Some, some drifter shows up and he tries to sell the woman, woman's body for like half an hour, uh, which like is a really confusing scene, <laughs> but, and really uncomfortable. Then um, uh, the smokers come on and they find him and then they start attacking. And the reason why they're attacking is because the little girl has a map of something on the back of on her back and they think that it's a map to dry land which they always abbreviate to just dry land as in it's like a place uh mm-hmm. meaning the last place that's above water the last like so which would be extremely valuable because you could there's plants and stuff and dirt and whatever else and you know even uh helen the, the woman is like humans aren't meant to be on the water like we're not supposed to be on dry land Anyway, they uh, they capture the little girl and they take her to their headquarters, which is the refurbished Exxon Valdez, um, <laughs> which you know famously uh, had a huge oil spill up in Canada, um, like in the '90s. So it's very relevant to this thing um, and the the theme of you know global warming and environmental collapse and all that. So they take her there and. Um, uh, then Kevin Costner is like, I got to save her. So he goes there by himself and uh, he blows up the ship because it's full of oil. Um, and they all, um, and then he, he saves the little girl using a zip line and then they uh, leave. And then there's, they find some other people that were in the original settlement. They like meet up and they're like, oh, I know how to read the map now. And so they read the little girl's back map and they go to dry land and they find dry land. And it turns out that it was real. And the little girl was probably like a message sent by the the people that live there. Cause I guess they only had one kid and they're like, okay, we're going to send her off into the world to to other people will be able to find us, but they did it in a very cryptic way, um, which was not helpful. So, and then Kevin Costner says, I can't stay here. I belong in the ocean. And he leaves and it's very sad. Interesting. If he was a good actor, (laughs) that's it. And did so, I miss anything? You missed one important detail. Okay. Um, and that's the, the reason they throw him in the cage. And the reason that he's so useful in this movie is because he is not human. So he has gills behind his ears. And that's right. a very abnormal thing in, in this world, even despite it being a water world. 
Um, so like, every, you know, everyone he comes across that finds out he has gills is like, he has gills. He's some kind of mutant. Like, you know, like, so they, they want to kill him for that. And, you know, not necessarily because he's, he's like, just as really like, you know, really great, you know, fighter, or like a really great Mariner, you know, anything like that. It's just, you know, the fact that he is abnormal for, for human standards. And so he's, and that kind of like serves his role as, you know, throughout the movie as being able to go underwater for long periods of time and be able to fight underwater and really do a lot of the stuff he needs to do throughout the movie is, you know, that that mutation really helps him. Right. Yeah. I forgot that they actually go underwater. I want right. he like he shows her the girl the like that there's a city like mm-hmm. right under them. So they like dive deep into the water. He picks up some dirt and it's like, this is where I get the dirt from um, and then brings her back up. Um, and that's when the, the, the smokers attack. Uh, right underwater yeah but no i think i mean movie plot as a whole kind of you know take it or leave it you know there, there's a lot of, of pieces there that's like i'm not sure that's how that would work but okay <laughs> um but i i do like the whole idea of it being kind of like a reverse atlantis situation you know like there's mm. instead of atlantis being the sunken city you know there's there's the only non-sunken city um, and they're trying to find it. And I think that's a, it's a really cool plot overall. Um, it, it, again, like you said, execution could be better. Um, but the idea is there and there's a reason we're talking about it today. I think that my biggest problem with it, I, I think, again, it's a high concept idea. Like what if the world is covered in water? Mm-hmm. I love the idea of that. You know, I think there's a lot you could do. I think my biggest problem is that I want this movie to show humans ingenuity and adaptiveness Mm -hmm. in a creative way right this is a weird place right things you know things are not the way they always were and we have to figure out a new way to survive you know humans are famous for being the most adaptable species you know we can adapt to anything Uh, you can look over just the last couple of years and how the world has changed and how people have just been like okay i guess this is how things are now and have continued living and thriving so like we we can adapt to any sort of extreme situation, and I think that um, water world is just another one of those. And mm-hmm. I would like to have seen a lot more imagination shown there. Um, I think what like I think what gets what gets hung up is that the message that it's trying to um, be sent is that water world is a bad thing and that it should not happen, and therefore you would be miserable if it happened. So you should really try to stop it. And you should recycle more. So you, you can't. Like they can't show Waterworld being something cool or interesting because ultimately they're trying to say, uh, no, like the environment is important. And if we don't take care of the earth, then Waterworld will happen and then you'll drown, um, which I think is boring. Right. <laughs> and also really out of place. I mean, obviously climate change is real and needs to be addressed. But if the ice caps melted, this is not what would happen. No. <laughs> There's not enough water. I looked up a video for this. Like I, Florida would go away. Uh, uh, Beijing and Shanghai would um, be underwater. Uh, there's something you know. A lot of you know cities along the coast would be underwater. It would be bad, right? But it would not be. There's no land. <laughs> um, so like obviously, like this is this is purely science fiction, right? And mm-hmm. like, why not have some fun with it and make it sort of cool and sort of dreary and depressing? And it doesn't like it doesn't convey the problem of environmental collapse well. It doesn't convey humanity well, and so it literally has nothing to say, right? Like what I want to see is like you know massive cities and how do mm-hmm. they work, right? Like oh they're like hydroelectric or maybe mm-hmm. they're like completely si- like solar panel like solar panels everywhere. Maybe they have some advanced desalinization 
methods, right? That we've developed over the last few years because of the need for that sort of thing, right? And maybe like, maybe that's like a point of, of, of struggles. Like only the rich can afford these desalinization machines. It's like water gets distributed down, sort of like Mad Max is, right? Um, or, you know, uh, any number of interesting things. Maybe it's like a, uh, everyone's in airships now, right? And because the water is too scary. What about those sea monsters? He captures, he like uses himself as sea, sea bait or something. Where mm -hmm. did that come from? Where, where were they? <laughs> what, what, what even was that? Was it a big like Megalodon or something that was secretly in the waters and suddenly was there? It's not been long enough for evolution to change like this, right? I mean, Kevin Costner's developed kills, but like, who knows where that came from? Maybe right. his mom uh, had a good a good night with a fish. Who knows? <laughs> you know, like it's, there's no there's no clear understanding of of this world, and there's no exploration of it. You see one settlement, two settlements technically, if you count the smokers, right, in their ship, and you see the drifters. Again, I have a fundamental problem with the drifters as an idea. Kevin Costner maybe because he's not human, right, and he's like he's like an outcast, you know, but like you can't survive by yourself. Like it's just not possible. Like not, not even just like physically, like you could like grow the food for yourself. It's like human, humans need other human connection. Like if you don't have that, you will go insane or just straight up die because something in your brain doesn't work. Like mm -hmm. you actually need to talk to other people. So the idea that you would be by yourself, like, and that's like a, a sustainable way to live makes no sense. So I, I, yeah, I just have a lot of problems with, how the like the story is supposed to work you know i think that what's interesting about like adaptive stories like if you were taking a a well-known idea or well-known book or something and you were to like make it into a movie the author of that book usually spends a lot of time building up that world and making it into something whereas this was like we have a message to send and that's what we're going to go with instead of saying oh we have a world we want to explore hmm. so um yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I mean, they they had a very big missed opportunity there. You know, they kind of did the opposite of what like the human story is supposed to be all about, right? Like yes. they didn't they didn't adapt to anything. They just kind of went back to what they had before. You know, they they found the only piece of dry land and just like you know hung on to the last bit of life till they could find it. You know, instead of okay, well maybe if we're going to go off the idea that this is a myth that there is no dry land, let's find a way to figure out what to do. You know, instead of that. Um, and because presumably, you know, if, if we had enough pollution or enough, you know, like whatever is caught, <clears throat> whatever is causing all these, you know, ice caps to melt and all this water to, to rise, that would suggest that we had enough technology to cause a massive amount of damage. And you would think that out of all of that technology, something would have would have come out of it instead of scrap metal. You know, um, it, right. it doesn't. Well, I it guess doesn't... If, if all we're doing is mining NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Then maybe, yeah, maybe that, that would cause some problems. But, uh, you but know, no, you're like, right. like you would expect something good to come from it or something useful, maybe. Right. right. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on your side as, as well, which is, you know, humans are incredibly adaptive. And, and, you know, like that was like one of my biggest complaints when I was watching the movie was kind of like, why is everyone homeless? You know, like, like humans are supposed to be pretty good. Like there's a reason humans have survived as long as they have. And it's not because we're the strongest or the fastest or the best, you know, animal at, at surviving. We're just really good at finding ways to keep ourselves alive in the most like harsh conditions possible. Um, whether that be through technology or through invention or through piggybacking off of other animals until we can find our way. Like we're just really good at kind of finding loopholes to the system. So why would this be any different? 
you know, like, yes. and, and again, to your point, you know, why would only one human in all of the world, as far as we can tell, be the only one that, that evolved, be the only one that adapted, you know, and, and why did he figure it out? And, and why is he not taught anybody else? So everyone else can live underwater too. Or, you know, like there's just, there's so many pieces to the story that just don't quite add up. And like, why are there so few civilizations? Why are, you know, the only people that we see the bad guys and the homeless people. And like, that's it. Like, you know, yes. there's just, I don't know. I, I I'm with you. There's, there's a lot of pieces that, that need to be, you know, put into place and that there's a lot of story that needs to be told. And, I, I think that if we did, I think that if we did Waterworld today, maybe this is what we need to do. We just need to rewrite Waterworld, like a Waterworld reboot, but good. Um, they're, they're like, give human, give the human race a little more credit for, for what it's worth. Yeah, I think so. I don't think you need to frame it as an environmental disaster either. I don't think right. that's helpful, actually. I think it just makes the whole thing absurd. I think that if you said, yeah, I mean, then you could solve some of your production problems. You could actually have some of it filmed on, dry land where it's like you're just in a city that's floating right mm-hmm. and while you're in the city you don't have to film that the ocean parts of course like you know effect special effects have gotten so much better now that you know that it's possible that you could simulate a lot of that without having to actually be on the ocean which would also probably save you a lot of grief but the other thing is like yeah you i really want to see how this is how this world is supposed to work you know mm-hmm. uh, instead it's like we're like it was so clear to me when they were like oh you know Kevin Costner, please, you know, fertilize this woman. Please have sex with, with our our fertile women. Um, was like they're dying. You know, right. they have they they have no plan. They're just grasping at straws wherever they can find it. You know, mm-hmm. this thing is so ramshackle and barely cut put together, and you have no idea like uh, like if there's any sort of structure at all. Like if there's even a hierarchy in place, which feels like what would naturally occur, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like. Uh, in a power vacuum i mean so like i don't know why it's like oh you know everything's so depressing and it's just falling apart constantly i i don't know it's just uh yeah uh, maybe that's all they could afford to do is like build one small settlement <laughs> right yeah like you i mean there's a lot of opportunities a lot of places to go i feel like the world is so vast that they create right with um you know they have these people on the dry land they have kevin costner like you know maybe he came from a like a like a village or something. Maybe there's other people like him on the world or something, or mm-hmm. maybe there's some sort of, you know, airship or big like mega city that's being, you know, propelled throughout the world and he's like taking over everything. And you're like, uh, or like tsunamis or something. I don't know. It'd be cool to see like a lot of different weather events or something. But ultimately, yeah, you got you get a lot, you get a lot of nothing. So. <laughs> No, exactly. I mean, for, for it being a world that was caused by climate change, there's not a lot of like actual climate stuff going on. No, no weather, is there, like, is there even in rain? Do I, I didn't see. Yeah, no, no weather conditions. Like, it doesn't seem like the temperature seems to change at all. Like, they're always pretty like comfortably temp, you know, temperature wise. Um, like, it just doesn't seem like anything is ever different. You know, it's like the yeah. world just kind of pause. Yes. Okay. So. I guess I want to know, like, okay, let's pretend Waterworld is real. Right? Okay, you're living in a Waterworld. Mm-hmm. What would, you, like, how would you restart agriculture in order to like sustain something? Right. I guess my first question is, like, could I use dirt from the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> is that even a real thing that I could do? So, uh, yes and no. Um, so here's the actual like uh, so- somewhat accurate part of Waterworld, kind of. Um, their, their value for dirt is actually like pretty well-founded. Um, 
because I, I when I was first watching the movie, I was kind of like, why would they get so excited over like a few ounces of dirt? That doesn't make any sense to me. And I kind of started to think about it more. And I, I started thinking about kind of the history of agriculture. And it makes a lot of sense why they want that dirt so bad. Um, and I don't think they can nearly get enough of it to, to meet their need. Um, but if, if they had a, like an ease of access way of, of getting a lot of it at once, then it could definitely, you know, bring them out of whatever condition they're in. Um, if they could get some kind of like, like garden or like greenhouse kind of facility going with that, with that soil available, then that could be huge because here's the thing. If soil is underwater, it tends to become more fertile. Um, really? Yes. So I'll give you a good example. So I live in, in, you know, in California and I'm in like the, the smack dab middle of California and California has valleys all over it. And I'm in the, I believe the largest valley, the San Joaquin Valley. And basically I'm, I'm sitting at the bottom of a massive bowl, you know, and, and my hometown is, is called Tulare. It was named after Tulare or Tule Lake and Tule Lake was what was here before my town was here. Um, there's like stories of all the time of, of, you know, settlers that kind of blocked off the lake and then drained it. And then they, um, turned it into an agricultural town after that. And, you know, people will say, well, they, they shouldn't have drained the lake. Well, maybe they shouldn't have, but here's the thing. They found that the soil at the bottom of the lake was more fertile than any soil they'd found in the rest of the world. Um, the only soil that beat it was the first civilization ever. And that was in Mesopotamia. And which even today between two rivers right, right. so like it, probably in the floodplains of the rivers or something right exactly very, close to water. Mm-hmm. very interesting okay so it, it seems like for some reason all the best like or not all the best but like most of the most fertile soil we find is in the bottom of water or or very very close to water and that tends to be because soil tends to thrive off of having like rich um microbiomes and water tends to host a lot of microorganisms. And so, um, and, it, and it has a lot of different minerals and nutrients that are constantly moving around. And soil really likes to change the pace a little bit. So, if, you know, if you have soil that is stagnant for too long and kind of dries up and doesn't have a whole lot of new life being added to it, it's not going to be super fertile. Whereas if you have soil that has water on top of it, all of a sudden now we have, you know, new microorganisms moving in and some moving out and you have some minerals moving in and some moving out. And it's just like a, a, a dynamic environment. And that really promotes the health of the soil. And then that, that creates just this massive bank of possibility when it comes to nutrient availability and, and, you know, moisture retention and microorganism life, you know, um, what do you call it? Like like population. And so when you start trying to grow crops in there, there's just a ton of, of stuff there for those crops to pull from. And the microorganisms are all like full of life and ready to go. And they're like, just putting everything they can into those crops. So really, I mean, yes, the, 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 the idea in water, water world, whether or not it was intentional, that's actually probably the best soil they have access to is the stuff that's under all, all that water for all that time. So the water, like in the lake, is that fresh water or is that salt water? Does it, and does that matter? When you're talking about like refurbishing the soil. So that's the part where I say it could be a yes and a no. Um, I, I believe, and I could be wrong. I have to often research this, but I believe the lake water was fresh water. I want to say, um, but I, I'm not, sure, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I know that salinity has a big, you know, has, has makes a big deal about, uh, soil health. And so yeah. maybe water at the bottom of the ocean would be different. Um, so that that's the part that's kind of difficult to say. Uh, we haven't experimented a ton with, you know, soil from the actual ocean. Uh, so it's hard to, it's hard to gauge what the effectiveness of it would be. 
um, we tend to know that more often than not, if, if soil is high in salinity or if it has a lot of salt in it, then it tends to be really dangerous for crops because it can burn them out like really quickly. Um, so maybe if there was a way to kind of strain the, you know, strain the soil of, of all the salt, and there are ways of doing that, that we have kind of experimented with in agriculture. Um, if, if we had more advanced ways of doing that, or even, you know, just kind of distilling the wall, the, the water out of it before we, you know, um, before we mess with that kind of stuff, then that might be possible but that's the part where it's kind of like i'm not sure how effective that would be just because we don't know how how much salinity affects soil underneath the ocean it makes sense that you haven't really experimented a lot with that because you know dirt is uh, very plentiful like there's right. a lot of yeah. dirt yeah um, we haven't come to that resort yet so yeah, yeah but okay so right, again this is kind of a weird question but like obvious like i feel like this is an obvious question but i still want to get your thoughts on this so if i was just to walk from the beach into the ocean right mm -hmm. and i was just to pull up some whatever was underneath my feet that's like sand right like i couldn't use that to grow crops in um again yes and no okay. <laughs> so here here's the fun thing about sand so sand is still soil um okay. soil is uh so when we, when we typically think of soil, we think of dirt, right. Or we think of like yeah. mud or kind of like a wet version of dirt. Um, so soil is kind of an interesting term to play around with. And if you're, I remember I, one of my, one of my classes that I took on soil science, um, my teacher was very passionate about soil. And he said that if we call it dirt, he'll fail us immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> because they're, they're different things. So soil okay. re refers to a living organism basically. So, um, the, the stuff we use to grow crops, what we call soil, it's alive. You know, it's, it's all, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like how we, how we refer to the earth as a living thing. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's a bunch of tiny living things that are making up one big living thing. It's almost like, you know, we're made up of cells, you know, we're made up of a bunch of, <clears throat> excuse me, we're made up of a bunch of little living things that make up one big living thing that can function together. Cause it's a, you know, it's a conglomeration of living things. It's one of my favorite things, honestly. <laughs> We're made of a bunch of little things. But right. Go, go ahead. So so soil is the same kind of way. You know, soil we may think of as, well, it's, you know, it's just dead. It's just dirt. No, dirt is dead soil, but not all soil is dirt. So whenever you have you following me. No, yeah, yes, no, I'm just making sure squares and rectangles <laughs> coming yes. together. Um so, yes. okay, so yeah. So soil is a living thing and it's made up of dirt or no dead dead soil is dirt dead soil is dirt okay, so, so when so they are are they mutually exclusive are they mutually exclusive then no, uh, no. kind of um it's it, it's complicated <laughs> soil is a weird subject but it's an important subject this is why like one of the big movements right now in ag is to try to get as much attention on soil as possible because we just figured out that soil is important something we should have figured out like forever ago considering just figure that out like, well how long ago <laughs> I'm I, I'm talking like within the past like ten years we really? figured out that and like that's not to say like we didn't think soil was important before because like we've always known like yeah soil is important but like we're just starting to get a hold of just how important it is um huh. which is again ironic considering like we found you know like like the earliest form of writing that we have access to is about how good soil is so really? it's like like soil like we've known for like all of human history that soil is a good thing to hang on to and like we just kind of ignored it for like forever and then like now we're at a point like hey maybe we should stop like burning up all of our soil with with freaking pesticides and, and all that kind of stuff and not that those are bad things i mean they have a place and we're you know we're yeah. using them with the best we can but 
for a very long time, we were overusing them and we were killing a lot of soil because we didn't know what we were doing. Now that we know what we're doing, we're trying to find ways to make sure we don't burn out the soil, that we don't leach it of all of its nutrients, so we don't kill it and turn it into dirt prematurely, and that we're giving back to the soil as much as we're taking from it. Um, so it's not necessarily that we figured out that soil is important. It's more so we figured out how to have a healthy relationship with soil in a way that doesn't screw us in the, in the long run. Um, so to answer your question, um, soil is a living thing that's made up of three different textures or when I say textures, I mean, three different like, like components. So, okay. um, soil is not just dirt. Um, soil is made up of sand, clay, and loam. And so technically the percentage of whatever combination you have there makes up whatever the soil is. So the sand you see on the beach is like 99% sand. So it's still soil. It's just mostly sandy soil. Um, and that's going to be the difference between like, you know, the soil we have in like the Valley, which is mostly like clay and loam. There's a little bit of sand in there, but it just depend, depends. Oh, <clears throat> it depends on where you go. Um, and you need all three of those things for you, it to be soil or for it to be good. Not necessarily in, in a lot of crops you do, um, but there are some crops that thrive better off of, off of certain combinations that don't oh, require all three. I mean, think of like desert plants, you know, or, or yeah. um, uh, like well, succulents. There are like, or... there are like you know, plants that live on the beach, right? Like mm -hmm. those things that they use to reinforce dunes and stuff. I always assumed that they just had really long roots that were like going into whatever was underneath of the sand. I mean, is that what's going on? Um, more often than not, they're usually just using the, the surface sand. I mean, that, that sand may not be good for much, but it, it does provide what little they need to survive. And you'll find that a lot of crops are very, very durable. Um, like corn, I, I make fun of corn all the time because it can grow literally anywhere. Like you like corn grows by accident all the time because it's just that good at, at surviving. Wow. <laughs> um, and so like, you know, not to say that you could grow corn on the beach, but like, it, it's, it's a good example of like crops can find a way to live wherever they want to live. I mean, like succulents are a good example of that succulents are really hard to kill. Right. Um, because they don't need a ton of moisture and they don't need a ton of nutrients. They can kind of just thrive on their own. Um, so sand is, is a, a soil that's very, uh, very airy. So it has a lot of pores and has a lot of open space. And so that can let water drip through really easily. Um, whereas like clay is kind of the opposite of sand. It's very compact and it holds on to water a lot. Right. Um, so crops that need a lot of moisture or who need to hold on to a lot of water, you know, we call them thirsty crops. We give them a lot more clay in their soil compositions. That way they can hold on to that water better. Whereas, you know, crops that may not need all that much water, we may put more of a sand in their composition. So it might be like, you know, whereas the, the thirsty crop might need like 40% clay and then, you know, like 20% sand and, and then you have like a 40% loam or something like that. Um, or maybe even more, maybe it's like 50, 20, 30, um, the less thirsty crops, the, you know, the more drought resistant crops, you might put more sand in, in their, in their, you know, composition that way they can afford to lose some water and, and give it to some other crops. Um, oh, wow. so there's, like I said, soil science is a whole like mess. Like there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to soil science. Um, and then you have like dirt and mud and dirt and mud are, are completely different things, you know, like there's still soil, but there's still, there's soil that has no living things or very, very little life left in it. There's not a whole lot of nutrients there. There's not a whole lot. Of, like, that's why you can't just like pick up a bunch of dirt from outside and just grow anything in it because it's probably dead. Or if it's not dead, it just has just little enough stuff that it can't really sustain life for a long time. Um, so if it does grow anything, it may not grow to full size because it might've just been leached of all of its nutrients. Um, so to answer your question, yes and no. If you, if you pull, if you walk up to the beach and just pull something out of, out of what's under your feet, can you grow something? Yes. Can you grow anything? No. Interesting.
Okay. No, that's, that is really interesting. I mean, <laughs> yes. Cause then you could, I mean, in theory, right. You, it doesn't matter where you're getting your soil from. If you know what the components are, you could adjust it mm -hmm. to be whatever you need it to be. Right. Sure. As long mm -hmm. as you can figure out how much of it you need or wh what component you're missing. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, ah, oh, that's so interesting because it's not like the soil is, is really good where you're living as much as it is, it has the right components for something good. And you could adjust that to be something good, right? Exactly. It has all three, I guess it has all three or it has enough that you need, that you can use it uh, to grow a lot of different things. But like, if you went to some, you went somewhere else where the soil wasn't as fertile, that would just mean that it didn't have all of the right, it didn't have the right co uh, combination of components. But what you're telling me is like, you could, if you could separate them into three, it, like if you were like went into the sand or whatever, and you pulled up a bunch of sand and there was, I'm saying sand, but I really mean whatever's underneath of me, which would be sand, loam, and what's it, clay, right? Mm -hmm. I could combine those. I could take the, each individual component and eventually I could have enough to have some like something good. It might not be enough to grow a whole lot of crops, but it would be enough to grow something. Potentially. Um, right. it, it's really hard to get those components properly separated and put into the right combinations, but that's what soil science is trying to figure out right now. Right. Is like, right. how can we properly utilize soil in a way that benefits the most amount of people possible or the most amount of living things possible? Cause we're trying to benefit the soil and the animals here as well. Right. Okay. Oh man, that is very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's I think, honestly, I think the soil aspect, like the fact that he grabs dirt and dirt is valuable is one of the most interesting parts of Waterworld. It's the mm -hmm. thing that I think about the most out of this movie, uh, way more than any of the weird <laughs> other stuff. <And> because, <laughs> because it is, I think it's actually a novel idea and it does like highlight exactly what I think is interesting about your podcast, which is like how important these things that we take for granted are. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. Okay, I have another question. This okay. is sort of flipping on, on its head. What, how does hydroponics work if it doesn't use soil? Um, that's a, <laughs> that's a really good question. Hydroponics is a, is a weird subject. Um, like necromancy <laughs> kind of, yeah, it, it uses similar tactics. You have to, you know, you have to sacrifice and then you have to call it. No. Um, but the, Symbols on the ground, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, hydroponics is one of those that like, I have like a tangential knowledge of, but I, I, every time I look it up, I just get more confused. Um, so basically to my understanding and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, from, from what I understand, they basically supplement the nutrients that the crop would get out of the soil and just put it into the water instead. Right. Um, so that would suggest that the, it, it only works for certain crops. You can't just hydroponics anything. Um, I know like lettuce is one of those that's really commonly used in hydroponics. Um, like there, there are just certain crops that tend to thrive better if they're high, like if, if they're, um, you know, if they're crops that are very high in water percentage, so like lettuce is like, like mostly water. Um, right. So it can, it can survive in that kind of environment. So basically once you get the crops to, uh, you know, lay down the roots, then you just put them in, in the hydroponics and that will, <clears throat> or you put, you put them in the water and then that will sustain them for the rest of their life because you can just kind of feed them whatever nutrients they need and they'll just get it from the water. Um, so they don't need all the microorganisms from the soil. They don't need all the extra stuff that the soil adds to it. They just need the bare minimum for their nutrient take and then they just need their water and that's all they need. Um, so but it's the not. Where nutrients come from then? 
So those nutrients will be mostly artificial. Um, they'll be, you know, made in, not necessarily made in the lab. That's kind of a, a bad way of putting it. Some will, you know, you have like artificial fertilizers or you have like artificial, you know, like uh, nutrient supplements for, for plants, similar to how we have like dietary supplements for humans. Um, and they could be extracted from other plants. They could be extracted from the soil itself. They could be extracted from a variety of sources, or they could just be, you know, artificially created. Um, however they get those nutrients, they, they kind of, you know, have different sources for them depending on where you are and what you need them for. But yeah, so they kind of like inject those into the water almost, or kind of like mix them together and then present it to the, to the crops. Again, it's, I, I'm not the most educated person on hydroponics. So that's, that's my understanding of it. I could be completely off in that though. So is it, would it, do you think it would be possible to get that, like to artificially create those nutrients if you had no access to land <laughs> going back to our <laughs> in water world that'd be tough um okay. because that was one of the things i was thinking about as well Was like okay well they have a lot of water they could use this to their advantage like like you mentioned hydroelectricity would be like the first thing that comes to mind for me okay. um that'd be absolutely i don't know why they didn't think about that earlier that's like a huge like um, like water, wind, and solar power are like the biggest, you know, regenerative sources. And there's no shade, right? Right. It's like, you know, what... there's no, like, it can't go behind a mountain or something. <laughs> right. And there's like hardly any clouds. So I feel like solar, solar power would be the ideal way to go at this point. Yeah. No, absolutely. You get, get some solar power going, get, get like a hydroelectric generator going. Like yeah. you have potential for power here. You're just not using it properly. Um, so that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. And the second thing would be hydroponics, but again, we run into that issue of, okay, well, it seems like even the people don't have access to nutrients. So how are they going to get nutrients for these plants? Um, so that would kind of be the big barrier there. I feel like, I think they have almost more potential going the soil route first, and then eventually building their way up to hydroponics once they can get there with the soil. Mm. Okay. That so that wouldn't, yeah, that does make sense. That's interesting. You know, and I think that's another thing that's kind of frustrating, but the thing that I like about Waterworld is that there is like so little water to drink, right? There's very little right. fresh water. Hydro is what they call it. Right. <laughs> Annoying, but fine, you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, they're covered, they're, they're surrounded by water, but they can't drink any of it. Um, which, you know, kind of brings us to desalinization. He mm -hmm. does have a desalinization machine, right? He does pee into a cup and then right. put it and through it a machine it. and then drinks it, um, which I assume would work. Um, but I don't know. Do you know anything about desalinization and like how that's supposed to work? I know bits it's like, and pieces. I feel like it's not that complicated. I know it's really expensive from an energy mm -hmm. standpoint, which is why we don't do it more often. But again, like you have access to the ocean, you're directly sitting directly on the ocean, and the sun is all around you and everything. You could dedicate a lot of your uh, research or a lot of your um, energy um, output or uh, what am I trying to say? Energy ration toward desalinization i feel like we could do that i mean evaporation even is a good way to desalinate something because mm -hmm. you can just I mean, i've seen those like really simple things where you have like a piece of cloth um strung up across like over a bowl and then you put like a rock in the center of the cloth so that it drips the water drips down and you have you put the bowl inside of like like surround like in a uh like a pool of water or something then the uh, the water is evaporated into the air. It heats up and it, it sticks to the cloth. And then it's, that's how you separate it from uh, stuff. And then, you know, of course you have, I mean, they've proved you have access to fire so you right. can boil the water too. And then you, you, you know, you can guarantee it's safety. So it's uh 
yeah, it's a little confusing to me about why that's a, really a problem when they have so much water. No, um, uh, <laughs> I'm with you on that one. I, I actually, I just, so I just looked it up on, on how desalinization works in terms of like how we're doing it in the modern day. And apparently we're doing reverse osmosis, which is interesting. Okay. Um, that's so that's also very energy intensive. It is. And that, that would explain why it'd be so difficult for them to do it. Um, so we're basically like kind of forcing water molecules into the water and pushing salt out of it. Um, which is cool, but it's like, you know, how would they do that in, in water world? Um, but I think that your solutions are definitely a lot better than what they're doing there. Like, obviously like, like nothing. exactly. <laughs> yeah. They could like my first thought would be to boil it. You know, that, that'd be like kind of the easiest I, I feel like, but yeah, they have, you know, they have, you could have the cloth method there. Like he has some kind of strainer or some kind of like filter that he's using obviously for his pee. I don't know why he doesn't just use that on the salt water itself. You know, like Maybe why for some reason he can't, I don't know. I mean, I, Maybe it doesn't desalinate it. Maybe it's just you can only use it for fresh water. I don't know. Maybe, or or maybe it's um maybe like the the water has been contaminated because of all the pollution or something. I couldn't tell you. No, the um, water looks fine. It's not like gray or gray right. Or you know, it's like blue, like the ocean. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I I couldn't tell you why why that wasn't the solution for them. That that would be. I mean, again, there's so many things they did wrong in this movie. Like they're really bad at surviving like right the, <laughs> this could have been fixed right. so long right. ago but they decided to not do anything about it okay i have another question for you okay and i don't know if you'll know this because you're not a meteorologist but <laughs> there's no there's, there's basically no mountains right there's no like there's no there's no valleys there's, the, the world is basically featureless it's as globe-like as it's ever been mm -hmm. so how does that affect like the weather would you still have like hurricanes and stuff? I I mean, hurricanes are based off like the, uh, like the like the uneven heat. Is, that, is the uneven heating the earth, or is it like the like the volcanic heating of the earth? Right, like because it's got to do with um, the Gulf Stream, mm -hmm. which is all like um, you know, which is basically warmer than the ocean around it, which is why it moves the way it does, and why it's that's why a lot of hurricanes go there but i don't know why it's warmer than the rest of the earth i assume it's because of volcanic activity um mm -hmm. but it would but because because you don't see that around the rest of the equator right if it was right. if it was the sun then you would think it would be even across but it's like a very specific part of the earth right. Any thoughts on that <laughs> so like you said i'm not a meteorologist but um, my thoughts would be I'm not sure about the change in like barometric pressure being much different um, because again, it's, it's just a flat plane, but yeah. I could see there being an issue with more intense wind. Um, and so that could potentially cause hurricanes just from that perspective. But I don't know, because like the, the, the thing that comes to mind for me is like, if you have no mountains, you have no wind resistance, you know, right. it, like if there's just, it's like the same thing. It's like the Mars situation, you know, on Mars, there's like, you know, dust storms all the time, just because there's nothing blocking them. Um, you know, and partially that has to do with just there being a, an insane amount of dust. And when there's a lot of dust, you know, wind is just going to pick it up and make it more intense than it normally would be. But, um, I could see wind being a massive issue in this movie, just because again, there's no, there's no mountains blocking it. Presumably the earth is hotter right now because of global warming. So, and you know, wind is tend, it tends to be caused by, like you said, a, a change in temperature with, with, you know, the, 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 um, like the air. Um, and so I, I would think that like wind or tornadoes or hurricanes would be more common, um, which you think would be an issue for the sailors, you know, like considering they're, they're using wind power 
presumably to, to push themselves anywhere in the world, you know, and we actually, that's what we see, you know, the Mariner do the whole time he's, he's sailing throughout the movie and he doesn't have any issues with wind. So I, I, I would, you know, I would very much think that that would be a big issue. I would think that one of the things that probably wouldn't be as much of an issue is like earthquakes, just because, you know, like, what's it going to, what's it going to hurt, you know? Well, um, have, I mean, earthquakes cause tsunamis, right? So like, that's true. I, and I don't know what, if that's, um, if that's like, because it's like rebounding off of the continent or like the continental shelf or something, or if it's just like the, the ripple of the earth, like moving underneath of it. Um, I think, I mean, if you had a tsunami that on water world, that'd be, freaking cool because we just go around <laughs> the earth like a bunch of times without hitting anything you know yeah i think that'd be awesome i mean it'd be like yeah i'm imagining like in inception when they have those giant waves on that planet or whatever I, that'd right. be freaking awesome i think that'd be a really cool thing to watch anyway um but it'd be, I mean, it'd be terrible for your characters obviously sure like a, but a hurricane for example like the way that hurricanes move the reason why they always move up like the east coast is because of the gulf stream and then they start to like the way they're spinning sort of sends them inward right and as soon mm -hmm. as they hit land that's when they start to die right? right um and they start to just kind of fall apart because they have no source anywhere but that's no mm -hmm. longer the case right now it has like it can go anywhere and it can just follow whatever path so you can imagine like hurricanes that last a long time because there's nothing stopping it there's no land to interrupt it or anything right uh, that would be interesting too what if you had like a hurricane that was just like like always raging right and you had like a name for it yeah he was like ah oh, here, here it comes again here comes right you know <laughs> yeah again. yeah no that'd be i mean that'd be like one of the most interesting plot points right there is because you know, like they're having this big old battle and it's like you know like something could you know seriously happen here and all of a sudden a hurricane just comes in and they're like oh we got to go you know like the yeah, hurricane's yeah. coming you know that's right uh, you like know you had like your mega city or something i mean it's, i've always thought this would be cool is like if you had like a floating island right you could avoid hurricanes because right. you would know they're coming and you could get away from them so like you know, I assume like our satellites and stuff are still up there working, right? Probably. I would think so. so you know, there's nothing affecting them. So, right. you know, you could you could use Doppler or satellites or something to figure out if there's a hurricane coming and you could move your mega city out of the way. And, right. You know, um, and all the little guys get get crushed. Right. Yeah. I, again, like drastic misuse of technology here. Like. <laughs> I'm just imagining a much cooler movie. That's all. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. We got it. We got to rewrite. We got to reboot Waterworld and make it good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. In our in our reboot of Waterworld, how would you solve the livestock problem? I remember our last time we talked, you were talking about how important livestock is to starting a civilization. One of the major hurdles we saw in Wally. -E. So, what could you do? Is there anything you could do? Like, could you could you harness sea monsters? Um, <laughs> I mean, you could you could fish, obviously, right? Sure um what, what do you think that's that's really tough um if we're going off of the assumption that dry land is still a thing mm -hmm. um then i would i would wager to say there's some kind of livestock there or some kind of animals that we could eventually tame into livestock status um if we're going off the assumption that it's still a myth and we have to build a city without livestock which i'm assuming is where you're going um yeah, fishing is going to be one of your biggest things, um, but that's not going to be great for the crops. If we found a way to sustainably get crops growing again, we would almost have to artificially create kind of like a livestock grazing pattern. Um, mm. Because one of the big reasons the livestock is so important is because their grazing patterns, you know, kind of naturally till up the soil um, or not till they, they naturally um, 
kind of like when, whenever they stomp on the soil, that kind of gets the microorganisms moving around and that causes promotion of growth. Um, so that's one of the big reasons we need livestock besides the fact of just, you know, livestock creates a better environment for growing food just because you can, you know, like one, one steer, which, you know, one, one cow or, you know, anything in that, that species, um, can feed a family of five for a whole year. Like that's how much food gets off of just one animal. It would take you like, you know, a, a, probably at least a full acre of, of corn to get that same level of, of, you know, wow. food. Um, so they just, they're, they're much more sustainable forms of food just from a compact, you know, from a compaction level. Um, I don't know. Like issue, it, right. Because you have no right, space. Yeah. Right. Every, every inch that you own is something you had to build. Right. You can't just expand into like a, like you can't even cut down the forest. That's like outside your house. Right. Right. You have to build the land that you had to build that you want to till. Yeah. Um, so, so here's a question I have for you. Um, do you think there would still be semi-aquatic animals or are they all just full aquatic now? Oh, that's a good question. I think they would all be aquatic, right? I feel like there's, I mean, you would have, just the way that humans treat animals in general, right? Like they would not be happy if like, you know, frogs or, or turtles are, are, are taking up their space, you know, <laughs> right. taking them into the ocean. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, I feel like they would all, it would all be a debt. Like they would all just go to um, aquatic and then anything that's like amphibious would probably just either die off or have to somehow adapt to that. Hmm. Um, you know, I think, isn't it like it true that like frogs, like tadpoles can like stay in like a tadpole state for as long as needed or something like that. I don't know. I, I think I like, I saw that somewhere or like they can delay their like puberty until, um, like the conditions are safe. So you can imagine just like, you know, I don't know, something like that, right. Where, where like these animals that are starting off in the water just never develop because there's no place for them to go. Um, mm -hmm. Which could, you know, maybe that's how you get sea monsters. I don't know. Um, yeah, sea monsters are just tadpoles that never decided to grow up. He's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, I'm never going to be a frog mom. <laughs> you can't make me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good question. I didn't even think about that. But, yeah, I mean, that would be a problem too, right? I don't know. Maybe, I mean, yeah, unless you had something that was... Like, unless you had an underwater farm or something, which I don't even know if that would work that way. I mean, well, rice grows underwater, right? Kind of. Rice grows in, in very flooded environments. Um, so presumably we could either genetically modify or just crossbreed rice to potentially grow underwater. So that could be a, a thing. Um, but no, I mean, to answer your livestock question, like that would be my big solution is if we could find any animals that could live on land, um, you know, even if they had to live most of their life in the water, like just like finding a large enough animal that could sustain, you know, a population in terms of, of, of the amount of meat we could get off of it or any other products. Um, because I mean, presumably we could get, you know, I don't know, turtles or, or, you know, some kind of like larger sea creature and we could, you know, use it for eggs. We could use it for meat potentially. Right. I don't know how good the meat is. You know, I'm, I'm assuming that you could eat turtle. Um, I've never turtle really looked into I've it. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, so, I mean, it, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility. It'd just be a matter of what animals would you have access to? Because I mean, turtles like to migrate a lot. How do we be able to, to capture them and use them effectively as, you know, to breed them and, and domesticate them. Um, so like, there's a lot of like logistics need to go, that needs to go into that. I basically, I think that our, our agriculture would just have to adapt to like an, an aquatic environment until we are able to sustain it into a, a more land-based, you know, system. 
Yeah. Well, okay. Now I'm thinking more like, <laughs> you know, the, like, you know, the earth is very uneven and stuff. Like you could build something from the ocean up, you know? And mm -hmm. the, I mean, it wouldn't even be, it wouldn't be that impossible. I mean, if you had a big enough civilization or something, you could dedicate resources, you put down anchors, right? Right. And then you, um, you like, uh, set up like big pillars or something that would anchor you to the earth permanently. And then you could raise it out of the water even. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you could build from there again, you would have to, every inch would be precious, but you could, uh, you could stack on top of it or you could build out or something. I don't know. There's a lot of different options you have. Yeah. Um, and you don't see any of them in this movie, <laughs> <laughs> but no, then, yeah, then possibly you could, you could do something like that. Right. I mean, think about cruise ships or like barges and stuff. Those things are huge. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're basically the size of a, like a small town, you know, right. um, you could easily find space for livestock and something like that. Oh like yeah. An ark of some sort. <laughs> so I, was gonna, I was just going to say, I mean, we had like Noah's Ark that fit all the animals on it. So all I mean, the animals, right. So we have, we have a historical precedent for that. Right. <laughs> um, we, uh, I mean, what you could do is, I mean, I, I'm just like, I'm always curious about these uh, dystopian, like uh, uh, post-apocalyptic worlds, what the transition period was like, you know? Right. You know, how, how fast did the earth fill up with water and how like, did people realize that? And we're like, Okay, Betsy, like, come with me. We're going on a ship right. for, yeah. for, the near, for the near future. Like, you know, you could imagine people would would recognize the problem and do something to stop it or or, or mitigate it. You might say. Well, I was I was just about to say to add on to that. Like, I I was I was reaching the same point that you were, which was, is this like an overnight thing? You know, is it just like they woke up one day and they're underwater, or like, yeah, like we have like we have to assume that they had no level of preparation going into this, that they had no cog you know, consciousness about like, I get the idea as like, you know, it's supposed to be like, well, if we don't take care of the planet, it's going to catch us by surprise kind of thing. And it's like, I get that. But sure. like to some degree, when we start seeing cities sink, I think people are going to take a second to think, okay, well maybe we should have a backup plan. Like maybe right. we should have some kind of like infrastructure for this, but that was just not, you know, there's, <laughs> you know the thing is that like lots of people out there believe crazy things, right? Sure. And some of those things happen to be true. So if mm -hmm. someone was like, hey, I think the earth's going to flood and it's going to be dry land, somebody out there is going to say, okay, I believe that. And here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like, <laughs> you know, in the infinite universe, anything is possible, but every human has prepared for something like somebody out there has prepared for that infinite situation. So I imagine that somebody is probably thriving. Somebody's figured it out. It was right. prepared for this. Even yeah. If I, they were a kook, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'd hope so. You know, somebody has like a bunker somebody has a, you know, yeah. like something but i i don't know so so that kind of leads me into a kind of a hypothetical that i i, I think we kind of talked about this with wally um I'm, I'm gonna throw the question back at you for for water world okay what do you because i have my own answers for this um what are your potential preventative solutions to water world how do we how do we get out of having water world be a thing how do we stop water world from happening mm-hmm Okay. Uh, well, first, you know, you open up the seawall so that the water just flows off the flat earth. Um, <laughs> no, okay. So I think like, I mean, one solution, oh man, this is tough. Um, I mean, the thing is that like, once we stop, once a lot of people die, Right. Um, you Step stop one, polluting kill a bunch of people. Right. Well, they're going to die anyway. Right. Uh, sure. Um, you stop polluting the earth so much, right? Mm -hmm. And as as infrastructure collapses, and as like 
you are no longer able to produce things at the rate you were before, the earth begins to heal like mm -hmm. almost immediately. So at a certain point, right, unless you create something that was completely unsustainable, I feel like the, the water would start to freeze again at the ice caps and then maybe it would just go down. Um, I mean, obviously, like if, if the solution was, I don't know where all this water is coming from, but let's just say that there was enough water to cover the earth. I mean, you would want to stop like like warming the earth so that would require you know you know lobbyists and restructuring our economy and you know whatever else a lot of political solutions because that's sure. where our standpoint is um I, I don't know i in order to stop water world i feel like you would need um maybe a giant hose <laughs> um, a big siphon into space yeah. you know you could like shoot it off into space and something or somebody with a big straw you know like, there you go uh, perfect everybody uh do your part drink a little bit of water yeah um and you know uh we have we remove seven billion gallons from the earth everyone <laughs> drinks one gallon uh you know it keeps it inside of them yes um, that would be you know they could do that you know <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I think that's a great solution i think we solved it <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. No, I, I think that it's, you know, it's important. First of all, I mean, when we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, but just to kind of disclaim water world, like the chances of water world happening are some to none just in terms of like the idea of like the whole world flooding, but even if it, water, it's not enough water. Right. But yeah, I was gonna say, even if it did, it couldn't get to that state, no matter what, like, we're never going to have water world. We might have like, we lose Florida if things get bad enough, which quite honestly, if we lose Florida, are we really complaining? But oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm just kidding. Floridans. I don't, I don't hate you, but really, honestly, if we lost, like if, if Florida was going under, I feel like Florida would fight back. Like right. Floridans would find a way to like to, to survive with the, with the flooding. Um, I mean, the air race like escaped from New York or escaped from LA <laughs> situation. Right. Where like, yeah. I think that's what happens, right? I think like like California gets flooded and then they build a wall around LA. Mm -hmm. And then um they that's where they put all the prisoners is in LA. Um which right. is supposed to be a commentary and something, but it's really kind of muddled. And then Kurt Russell plays basketball. Um and that's what's important. Anyway, yes. So, <laughs> um yeah, like they could build a wall, right? They could build like a, a coast wall, you know, mm -hmm. sort of to help like, you know, keep that from happening. I think you're right, you know. I think people would, I don't know what they would do. I don't know if they would fight back or if they would just adapt, you know, the Floridans would start riding their alligators um, <laughs> instead of whatever they do now. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, you know, I, I definitely would see like, that's the thing is like, as much as we deny something is happening or people say like, Oh, you know, there's nothing we can do. People still act in to adapt, you know, mm -hmm. when something, when something's re really is happening right in front of them, they start doing something to 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 deal with that problem. They don't just sit back and be like, "Oh, I guess I'm going to drown now." Right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. That's a disappointing thing about water. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll kind of uh, reference back to a point that you made during your your potential solution, which I think is a really important one. Earth is incredibly good at healing itself. I mean, like insanely good at healing itself. Um, I know I can't remember. I was talking to my roommates about this. Um, there, so that when Mount, uh, when Mount St. Helens exploded, um, exploded, erupted, um, they were expecting it. We, yeah, they, they were expecting it to like take 
like forever for it to completely regenerate, right? Like it, like it was going to be like, you know, over multiple lifetimes, it was going to take to regenerate. Um, it's been something like 40 years now and it's like almost back to normal. Like the earth can heal itself very, very well if it wants to. And earth is very good at, at adapting to whatever, whatever we throw at it. Um, that's not, that's not to say that we should just keep doing what we're doing and just keep pounding on it. But earth is, is in a good position. I think overall, you know, I think that it's going to like, if it needs to kill something off, it'll kill something off and then it'll fix itself. I mean, it's done it before earth's been hit by meteors. It's been attacked by, by a variety of creatures and it's killed off the ones that didn't need anymore. The ones that wanted to survive, found a way to survive. Um, it's frozen itself and boiled itself more times than we can count. Like it, it is pretty good at this. It's not the first rodeo it's been to. So no, no, no. it's not the earth that's in trouble. It's right. Not. It's us. that's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, no, you're right. Like earth, earth, earth is going to find a way. The problem yeah. is we need to find a way. <laughs> yes. No. I mean, how many mass extinctions have there been? Right. So right. like, you know, yeah, exactly. Like we're, uh, when you say, oh, the earth's in trouble or, or like we need to save the earth. It's like, yeah, eh, you need to frame that slightly differently. Right? <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. Don't, don't think that you're doing a great thing by, by saving the planet. You're saving us. That's what, the, that's yes. what matters here. Like, which I think is worth doing for sure. I, yeah, I agree. Probably one of the most noble things we do, but it's, but, you know. Yeah. Don't pose sure it as a non-selfish question here as like right. a, you know, like, don't be saying like, I'm going to save the planet. It's like, well, no, uh, don't, don't, don't kid yourself. What you're really doing here is making sure that we don't die. <laughs> yes. Um, in uh, N.K. Jemison's uh, Broken Earth trilogy, she reframes the earth as like an antagonist. Hmm. Like we, if, uh, she calls it Father Earth and it, the earth is trying to kill us constantly. Interesting. And there's like all these, you know, it, the whole world is collapsing. There's lots of environmental da- disasters that happen. Um, they have these th- like events called seasons, which is basically just an apocalyptic event that happens every decade or so, hmm. um, where like one of them was like all the uh, volcanoes went off at once and covered the world in ash um, and like the- nothing could grow for a long time. There was like acid rain that lasted for like a decade. You know, there's Jeez. all these, you know, just things that happen and they have to f- find a way to deal with it. And so like the characters in the story see the earth as like constantly at odds with them constantly Hmm. trying to find a way for them to kick them off the planet essentially um which i think is interesting i don't know if that's a healthy way to view uh our current situation um but it certainly like i think puts the framing back where it belongs which is you know we're the ones that are in danger (laughs) we're the ones that are precariously perched on a marble the the marble is it's doing great. Right. It couldn't be better. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I can't remember who I was watching now. There was a video that I watched a couple of years ago that said like, you know, I get that we're pretty hard on earth. Earth's pretty hard on us too. I mean, like yeah. we get hit pretty hard by a lot of stuff and that's not our fault. Like we could be the nicest, you know, we could be the nicest humans ever and like not ever touch earth and just kind of let it do its thing. And earth would still probably find a way to kill us just because it wants to like, <laughs> That's just kind of how Earth is as a massive, you know, living planet. It just has a lot of, a lot of things that can go wrong. I mean, like natural disasters are going to happen anyway. They're natural disasters. You know, they're just going to happen by happenstance. It does not matter how much damage we do to the Earth. It's going to hit us back tenfold no matter what. Um, so, like, there, like, and there's this, there's this whole, you know, conversation that, like, because you know, people were. were we're fighting whoever I can't, I can't remember who who was now. It was somebody it, I was watching a video of, of this guy and he and like people were fighting him saying like, well, you know, shouldn't we shouldn't we do more to fix the climate change issue? And he was like, I mean, you could do whatever you want, but 
you know, like I, I think it'd be better if we didn't make it worse, but I don't think we can make it to a point where earth is not going to hurt us because earth is always going to hurt us, you know, <laughs> like sure. it, it's always, you know, it's a constant battle. That's just how it is. Yeah. You know, I think that the thing about climate change is that we've done this to ourselves, right? You know, we like, we have set the stage and it would be just the most, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't appreciate the irony of us going out this way. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I mean, again, like it wouldn't kill everyone. It would. It wouldn't even kill most people. It would kill. It would kill a lot of people. It would be absolutely awful, and it would be something that we would deal with probably for the rest of our lives. But sure. it would be, um, you know, it's it's not. It's like you know, <laughs> for lack of a better uh, phrase, fuck around and find out. You know, <laughs> <Right>. like <laughs> it's, we we did this to ourselves. Uh, what I think is interesting is like the natural disasters thing is always so fascinating to me. Like mm. when Houston was flooded, uh, I think was that last year or two years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Where it was a hurricane that hit Texas, and like you just suddenly like it goes back into focus. It becomes so clear again, like just how vulnerable we are, right? We think of ourselves as being immune to nature. We surround ourselves with right angles and like, you know, technology that distracts mm -hmm. us from the real world, but the real world is still out there and it's still coming to get us. And we are still at the mercy of all these things. We figured out so much, you know, we've, we've, we've conquered so many different challenges mm -hmm. and yet a, a storm can come through and destroy your life, you know, could kill you or, you know, completely bankrupt you or whatever else. Right. It's insane. So like, it's something we like, I feel like we can never lose sight of. And I feel like eventually we're going to come to the point where we can overcome that. But at the same time, I feel like we're just like living in this reality where we believe that like the weather doesn't matter, you know, right. But it really, really does. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 I think that's something that just keep in mind constantly is like you are, you like to think that you're not part of nature, but you know, nature's never going to let you forget that where you came from. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, this goes back to, you know, like, like, like you said, like we can, we can protect ourselves all we want with our houses and with our buildings, with all of our, our infrastructure and nature could just go, that's cute tornado and it's all gone you know like or like and we, like we can you know we we can right. find ways to fight it as much as we want we can build like tornado proof houses we can build like but the thing is a tornado proof house is only as durable as we understand the force of tornadoes to be if a yes. stronger tornado than we're used to comes in we're screwed like that's just how like right but, it's like what are you gonna do what are right. you gonna do about that <laughs> so you know it's like you said like i like i always kind of have this this laugh you know because in agriculture we have like the all-natural label right like you know when people yeah. buy their food they have like you know organic or they have non-gmo or they have like they're all natural i always say like well what do you mean by all natural like at what point is it not natural because everything we use on a daily basis came from natural resources at some point yes. um you know like our our desks are, are made of wood that came from trees you know our computers are made from you know different plastics and, and metals but those plastics and metals came from the environment at some point you know they were synthesized into, into you know artificial materials but they were natural at some point so like at what point do we draw the line from what's natural and what's not because like I mean, technically us going to the bathroom in, indoors is not natural, but we consider it a normal part of human behavior. We wouldn't want to go out and, and you know, we, like how many people do you know that like to go outside to go to the bathroom? Just dads. But um, it's just kind of, <laughs> <laughs> but right. like that's, you know, we have this whole like, 
like, um, what do you call it? Kind of like this, like high horse stance of like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, I like to do things that are natural. It's like, okay, well, do you like sit outside naked and, and like not touch technology for years on end? Cause that's not like, according to your definition of natural, then that's not natural at that point. You know, like we're always part of nature, whether or not we like to admit it, it's just, you know, we like to kind of think that we're not because we've, we've built things that nature would not have given us by itself. Yes. And I think that that framing of like, you are something other than nature is ultimately the root of a lot of our problems. Mm -hmm. Because um, when we think of ourselves as being separate from nature as being special or different from nature, that makes, that means we have less of a responsibility to take care of it because we Mm -hmm. don't think of it as being part of us, but it certainly is. It is part of who we are, right? Uh, We were developed in, you know, the world like in in like the the earth like created us essentially out of mm-hmm. natural resources so like we should know ne- i feel like we should never really lose sight of that because as soon as when we do then we start thinking of ourselves as being different from nature or that we don't need it for some reason and you know maybe at some point we will leave this planet and go to other planets or something but like we can never really we're never going to be able to survive unless we turn our environment into something that we can live in, right? Something that is quote unquote natural. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, when I think about that, I used to think it was kind of funny that people make that distinction, but now I think of it as more insidious because I think there really is a deliberate effort for people to distinguish themselves from the natural world in order to remove responsibility for mm-hmm. like their own responsibility for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, to kind of like, uh, my, my last, my last thought on that as well is, you know, I, I, I naturally have to go back to the agriculture argument. Um, you know, people, uh, like one of the most common things people like to throw at, at agriculture is that, you know, farmers are killing the planet, the agriculture is destroying the environment, all this kind of stuff. And to some degree, there is some environmental damage that could have been prevented. Again, we didn't know a lot of stuff that we know now. There was a lot of experimentation, a lot of trial and error. And there was a period of time, and some say it's still happening. I I say it's getting better. But there was a period of time where agriculture just cared about the bottom dollar and that was it. You know, there, there was not this, this whole conversation about having a good relationship with nature. And I, I, like I said, I think that that's improving quite a bit. And I think that it used to be a lot better. And we kind of just had like this brief period during the industrial age where that was like, we're just going to farm to make money and that's going to be it. And like, now we're kind of like, okay, that's not going to work anymore. Um, because, you know, those in agriculture know better than anyone, the relationship with the environment is the biggest thing you need to maintain. Because, you know, like we talked about, like, you know, a tornado can come in and just wipe your house away. Well, a, a harsh rain can come in and knock away your farm. Like it's, you know, there's yes. like, we're like, we're sitting on an industry. Well, not just, not just the farmer, but, you know, consumers as well, you know, people who have to buy this food, like you and me, you know, we're sitting in, in, in a position where everything that we need to survive can be knocked away like that. You know, it's, it's, and we don't think about it because we don't have to, because, you know, we have sustainable, um, you know, solutions to try to keep that kind of stuff from happening. But really like, that's like the big, like people like to say, well, farmers don't care about the environment. It's like, no, 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 no. Farmers have to care about the environment. Cause that's the one thing that's, that could take away everything they own in a second, you know, like 
most businesses don't have to deal with the stress of like a harsh wind affecting their business day. Farmers have to deal with any potential, like if the temperature drops more than like a degree in a certain direction, that could be, that could be the difference between them harvesting that day or not. Like everything matters to, to farmers in terms of the environment. So you know, like we're constantly adapting technology and like, you know, better methods of, of farming. And like, like I mentioned, you know, better understanding of the soil and, and what it does and how to use it. Um, like we've, we've figured out all kinds of stuff that reduces and actually reverses some of the environmental damage we've caused and kind of benefits the, the environment as we grow. So like we have crops now that grow and they collect, you know, carbon from the atmosphere and put it back in the soil, or they, you know, as they pull from, from the soil, they give back to it as well. So like, farmers you know and again you know we've been trying to find new ways of using like solar power or like you know converting methane into energy like there's there's a ton of new methods to try to use the environment to our advantage but to also kind of give back to it in the same way and that's like one of the biggest things it's like again that i kind of find ironic you know people like to people like to complain about how harsh we are on the environment and they like to point like well look at how you know look at how we farm you know we literally take nutrients out of the soil it's like well yeah but have you been paying attention for the past 20 years so we've been putting them back and not only have we been putting them back we've been putting more back than we've been taking so i think that's pretty pretty cool yeah no i think that like ultimately there is a lot of inefficiencies that we can improve on since <laughs> sure. we like understand things better. And like, you know, nature's going to find the shortest path between two points, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's most efficient. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that like, we're suddenly in a, I feel like there's probably a new thing, but maybe I'm wrong that like, we are thinking so long-term at this point, right? It's not just like what's happening next year or the next 10 years. It's like, what is going to be happening to the earth in the next 50 years or hundred mm-hmm. years, right? With not just our generation, but the next generation, the generation after that. And how do we build something like we're, we're, we're discovering that it is possible to build things that will last a really long time. And before it was like, okay, we'll just keep doing this because it's working for now. But I feel like now we are, we have the knowledge and therefore responsibility to be like, oh, you know, we could, we could set something up in motion that would continue to work the same way a hundred years from now mm-hmm. and would you know only improve in its production. Um, yeah, I, I think that's like, I think that long-term view is certainly really healthy, especially when you're developing new technologies and you're implementing new things. Um, so yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah. I also, it also reminds me of like the, like in psychology, there was this shift where like, you know, at first, everyone like they thought like the heart was the most important muscle. That's where like all your emotions and stuff came from. Then they just then they discovered the brain, and they're like, <laughs> ah, the brain. You know, that's where it is. You know, the brain is uh, the most important thing. And now, like the the actual what they believe in psychology now is it's a holistic thing, right? Mm-hmm. Your brain plays a part, but you're not just your brain. Your your whole body, mm-hmm. your gut, for example, has so many neurons, and it acts as a second brain. And like it you everyone knows this but you don't really think about it your gut affects how you think like it tells you not just what you're hungry or something but it makes you upset or it makes mm-hmm. you um, irritable or whatever because of the the signals you're getting from it so like your whole body is a is something that uh, has to work together to to do something you're not just one organ and the same thing is true for this right like it's not mm-hmm. just um it's a holistic approach. It's not just trying to work against the environment to do something it doesn't want you to do. It's working with the environment to make it into something uh, to help you know, sustain itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. And I, uh, I'm definitely going to be curious about what kind of developments uh, we'll see in farming in the next you know, 
like two decades. I think that'll be really interesting. Oh man. There's some cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds awesome. I'm excited for that. Yeah. But I'm sure you had other things to to do today. So I don't want to keep you for too long. I know we've been going for quite a while now, but um, if you had any other comments, questions, concerns you wanted to bring up before we close here, you're more than welcome to. No, I think this is great. I really enjoyed talking about this. I'm glad yeah. we moved past Waterworld and discovered <laughs> that we can make it better this next time. Yes. Not only with a reboot of the movie, but in the real world in real world as well. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but no, that that I think that kind of you know puts a nice bow on our on our conversation. So thanks again, Julia, for joining me. Before we close out, you want to remind everybody where they can find all your fun stuff. Sure. Um, you can find me at Affable Chat. Uh, we have a website now. It's called affablechat.com. Um, we also are live on Twitch. We have a YouTube channel and you can find our podcast where we talk about movies uh, on any, plat- any platform, podcast platform you can imagine. Uh, so go check us out. Just search for Affable Chat. We're the only ones out there. Awesome. Well, yeah, I will be putting all your links down in the description, sharing all your stuff around that people can find you. Uh, you know, as I'm sure anyone in my audience has learned by now, you know, you're, you're a very interesting voice to listen to always bringing some, some weird questions to the table. So yeah, my pleasure, (laughs) but that kind of wraps everything up. I I have for you. Um, if you don't have anything closing, any any kind of closing comments, I think we're good here. Nope. Awesome. So yeah, thanks again, Joy, for joining me. Thanks to all the listeners for tuning in and for always uh, supporting me over the past four years. It's been a lot of fun. Um, but that wraps everything up here. So I'll catch all you next week. And don't forget, if you wait today, thank a farmer. <laughs>